back to the Northeast Newscast. This episode is the second in a series of interviews with state representatives and senators where they will share their priorities for the new term. This episode was made possible by Shemekas Online Market in Delhi. This week, we're hearing from Missouri State Senator for the 9th District, Barbara Ann Washington. Thanks for taking the time to share what your priorities will be for the next term. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you for having me this morning. Of course. So you were sworn into office on January 6th. How was your first week? Uh, well, my first day wasn't great because it was overshadowed by the uh, disastrous activities that happened at the nation's capital. Other than that, um, it was pretty uneventful. We really haven't done that much in the Senate yet. I'm sure it's been hard to focus, you know, with everything going on nationwide. <laughs> I can't imagine, you know, being in a in a government building when that's happening in another government building. I think the only blessing is that we didn't know what was going on until um, after the fact. Um, so we were our, we we went through our processes. We um, in the Senate, we are not allowed to have um, like we can have a iPad or our iPhone or our phone or something, but it's a bit different than that. <clears throat> Excuse me, than the house. We don't have a computer in our face, and so no one's checking the news or Twitter or anything of that nature. So we're kind of our own bubble. So that in and of itself was a blessing, so that we could actually get through the appreciation of being sworn into the to uh, the upper chamber of the Missouri Assembly. Sure, and so. For those of you who aren't familiar with your years in the House, what are your priorities that you've been focusing on? My biggest priorities have been juvenile justice reform, uh, increased economic, improved economic improvement uh, in terms of workforce development in our community, um, assistance for small businesses, uh, eliminating blight, uh, and protecting in, in the House. I have the 18th and Vine District, and I also have parts of uh, historic Independence Avenue, so protecting the tourist tourism value of those areas. I think that would probably be it. You know, of course, you know, money for um, more education, uh, more higher education, money for health. Sure, and I mean, it seems like COVID nineteen and all the struggles that people are having financially and health wise really make your causes even more important than ever. Wouldn't you say? Oh, definitely. I would. I would say that it's. If you weren't paying attention to the poverty levels and the disparity levels um, that we have with return in terms of health and housing and employment and income before COVID, it definitely pulled the wool off of people's eyes so that you see that we really have a lot of needs in the ninth district. Yeah, of course. So now that you're in the Senate, how will your priorities change, you know, if at all, from your time in the House of Representatives? Well, I pretty much um, represent the same type of community. It is expanded. Um, I do now have Raytown and some of Lee's Summit. And I think there uh, is still a need for improved workforce development, improved assistance for our small businesses, um, introducing various areas uh, that we have not been paying attention to in the urban community, such as farming. Um, We have a lot of community and for-profit small farms uh, popping up which increases our farm to table, which is very popular in the Northeast, those restaurants that are farm to table, uh, keeping in mind a view of what we know as city city market and taking that idea throughout the district, um, improving our education and access to education. It was encouraging that the governor said on Monday that he wanted to put a real focus on early childhood, which will place children, um, especially in the ninth district, 
will give them a heads up. Actually, not a heads up. We'll give them that notch that they need so that they can be on par with other kindergartners when they get started. And the other thing is working on criminal justice reform with some of the other senators and working on marijuana. You know, we have marijuana as now it's medical marijuana is pretty much easily accessible. So it's time to eliminate the punishments that marijuana possessions have had on people in the past. So working on trying to get that expunged. Sure. Some of those retroactive things that, you know, people wouldn't be charged for anymore. So why why be punishing people who have been charged for them in the past? Correct. Okay. You know, working in the Senate with a smaller group, I mean, it's still not a small group, but it's, you know, a much smaller size. Will you approach these causes in a different way? Absolutely. Um, there's only 34 of us. So in the Senate, relationships are m- much more important. Um, there is still division, of course, amongst the parties, but you you can have a bigger conversation one-on-one uh, with senators, get their input, help with, you know, help move your bill along uh, much easier. It appears so far, I can't say for sure, uh, <laughs> than it was on the House side. Sure. So a couple of your bills that you have proposed for this term deal with housing. Um, the first one being property taxes have risen very quickly, sometimes surprising people in Kansas City, especially. And one of your bills seeks to assist them by placing limits on the increase of assessment of certain properties. Do you want to explain a little bit more about that? Yes. So as we continue to give away tax incentives, which I want to be very transparent, I am for incentives when they are actually improving our communities. Um, And in Kansas City, we have use them to uh, revitalize many areas in the city. Um, The east side is not getting as much as we should. But as we do that in some residential areas, as new buildings, new construction has allowed the new built, the new homeowners to enjoy tax abatement for 20 years or so, those new homes are also increasing the values of the homes around them. But with that, you're increasing the tax assessment. And for Say a, a old lady who's been in her home for 50 years, has no property uh, mortgage associated with her home. I don't think she should be punished for committing herself to the community and having tax increases that are above three or four hundred percent. So those communities that are adjacent to the tax abated communities and you would have to be right there adjacent to it, uh, that you would receive a tax freeze during the time that your neighbors receive a tax abatement. Um, there were will probably be some other legislation that will protect seniors, um, that if you have lived in the community, owned your home for a certain amount of time, your taxes too will be frozen um, so that we are not imposing more restrictions and more burdens on our most vulnerable citizens. Sure, especially you know those on fixed incomes, we can't we can't be pricing them out of the neighborhoods, like you said, that they've lived in for a very long time. Um, so you're also proposing a $5,000 tax credit for the purchase of an eligible blighted property by a first-time home buyer. And I, you know, as somebody who's looking to buy their first home, think that's a great idea. I mean, there's a, an abundance of blighted properties in our district and even more specifically Northeast. So if that passes, what long-term benefits do you expect to see? I expect to see the vacant lots that are in our community. I mean, I'm sorry, the blighted homes that are in our community um, decrease. I expect to see more economic uh, development in terms of 
when you bring more money to a community, they have to have a place to go to the grocery store, to go get coffee, to shop. And so we will bring, uh, and it will help Kansas City, especially if we're getting more people that are not necessarily Kansas Cityans, it will be more earnings tax. And it, of course, will be more property taxes. Uh, it will help improve our schools as we diversify with a different socioeconomic status of people that come back to the community. And it will mean some stability because with this tax credit, you have to live in the property for a certain amount of time to be able to fully take advantage of it. And we we want to bring people in. And if a tax credit can help you, if, if you have a hurdle that's stopping you from being able to buy a home, then it's our job as legislators to do what we can to improve our communities. Sure. And I mean, some of those stipulations, like that you have to live in the home and things like that, uh, do you think that gives more opportunity to, to, you know, actual families or young people, not just flippers who come in and, you know, contribute some of those, you know, that negative gentrification? Absolutely. That's why you have to live in the home. Great. So you cannot be an investor uh, and flip the home, you know, buy it six months and flip it um, for, you know, 25 times. I mean, your money is your money. And I appreciate flippers as well because they are improving our communities. But if they don't get the home sold, then you haven't really resolved the problem of the blight. Sure. And so kind of also focusing on Northeast, we do have a lot of community gardens and things like that in the neighborhood. Can you talk a little bit about the urban farming tax credit? So the tax credit is for for commercial farming. Um, it can't be if, you know, you rent out, take some space in your backyard and you decide that you're going to. Uh, have farm, uh, have a garden, which is amazing. But this has to be, it has to be for a larger scale community farm. It has to be for the benefit of the public. Um, so we have in the ninth district, two of the, the largest uh, tilapia farms in the state. And they were in mind for me uh, when I did this bill. And this is my third year filing this bill. Because um, if they were able to, say, get investors that can expand their operations, um, they could employ more people. They could bring more attention to the hydroponic, aquaponic um, way of farming, which in urban communities is a big deal. Um, And they can continue to provide more food for our community. So we have large, wonderful community farms as well that will be able to take advantage of this. But it's um, a new opportunity uh, to bring attention to something that I, as an African-American, grew up going to a farm every weekend because my family is not from Kansas City. They are from a small county down east um, called Saline County. So to watch them be able to provide for themselves um, and make a living off of it. And when you go to places outside of America, when you see even poverty-stricken areas, agriculture is high on the list. I went to Africa for a couple of weeks about five years ago, and it was enlightening to see those women, um, that's how they were making a living is that they they were farming and they were selling their goods. Um, so if we were able to assist again in helping people, small businesses be able to do this, then I think that's my job as a senator. Sure. And there's also, you know, the obvious um, environmental benefits, not having to ship things across the country and being able to produce them locally on a smaller scale to feed the community. Correct. It's time to take a break to thank our sponsors. 
Shemekas Online Market in Delhi, offering catering and nationwide shipping at shemekasonline.com. Find their new deli at 16th and Swift in North Kansas City. Shemekas, where customers become friends and friends become family. And now back to the newscast. Why don't we talk a little bit about your committees that you'll be serving on? Uh, one of them being the Agriculture, Food Production, and Outdoor Resource Committee. And I think that's totally in line with the bill we were just talking about. Correct. As well as um, I've been responsible for bringing, uh, we have about $200,000 the last couple of years in the budget that is uh, specifically geared for agricultural, for urban farming. Again, I grew up, you know, uh, my mother is probably the first generation that's not a farmer in our family, but there are tons of cousins um, of her generation and mine that um, still farm uh, small farms uh, throughout uh, mid-Missouri. So it's something that's always been in my heart. I tell people they joke. I never had meat from a grocery store until I went to college <laughs> um, because we either got it at the butcher or you got it from someone that you knew in this in the country. So agriculture is something that's big to me. And I'm from Kansas City. So Kansas City, people don't know, we're called Cowtown for a reason. It's not <laughs> because we're some country place. It's because we were the place where cows were processed and um, shipped out with the stockyards. So um, we we it's okay for us to get back to understanding that and understanding that agriculture doesn't just mean farming. You know, we are part of a community on the Kansas City side that um, we produce. We have several companies. If you go from St. Joe to Olathe, I think they're called the Biomedical Highway or something of that nature, where we are producing a tremendous amount of agriculture, of, of I'm sorry, of medicine for animals. We are a big animal science producer, and that too is in an area of agriculture. We have great programs. I think the Metropolitan Community College has just started an agriculture program. And for African-Americans, for students, as they're looking to get scholarships in these tight um, economic times, there are federal scholarships that are specific to agriculture for historically Black colleges and universities. So I am uh, pleased that that, that uh, minority leader, uh, Senator Rizzo, um, placed me on that committee. Yeah, that's great. And speaking of historically black colleges and universities, um, you have a bill to dedicate a week to them in September, correct? Yes. So that is a week that Obama actually started. Um, and I would just like for us to recognize that here in Missouri. I think that would help both. We have two HBCUs in Missouri, Harris Stowe and Lincoln University. And anything that we can do um, to recognize that we appreciate their existence. There, um, I know Lincoln U is over 125 years old. Um, to draw more attention to their great programming and help them and put them a little bit in the tourism community as well, so that they can um, increase their numbers. When I was in college, the school was probably two and a half times more uh, enrollees than it is now. Uh, is there a large community at those schools from Kansas City and from, I mean, the metro area? What do you mean a large community? You mean students? Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. In fact, our own our own Ollie Gates is an alumnus of Lincoln University. Oh. <laughs> and you have to remember that African Americans weren't allowed to go to the University of Missouri until the mid sixties. So if sure. they went to school in Missouri, they went to Lincoln University. Okay. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I think definitely, like you were saying, the tourism is something that, you know, me being from Kansas City, I'm not sure like those colleges came and spoke at my high school. I, you know, I don't know that students felt that was an option if they even knew about them at all. So that's great. You do have one bill that concerns redistricting and it's counting prisoners, correct? Correct. Okay. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Well, the state of Missouri takes care of all of our prisoners. None of the municipal communities where our state prisons are are located are contributing to those, to the support of those prisoners. So it's not fair that when we count our residents in terms of the census and how we redistrict, that those prisoners are counted where they're imprisoned. They should be counted where they live, where their last known address is, because that's probably where they're going to go back to. Sure. We know that there are a significant number of people of color, brown and black folks, that are in our prisons. They outweigh the white prisoners by leaps and bounds. And we know that they're not staying. When they release, they don't stay in Tipton or Boonville or anything of that nature because the population of minorities hasn't increased in those places. So if they're going to go back home to St. Louis, Columbia, even if the Boot Hill, wherever they're going, they should be counted in their home because that is where they're going to need resources so that their home communities can continue to thrive. Of course. And like like you were saying, some of those prison communities, the areas surrounding them are rather rural and might not feel the strain of so many people using those dollars as the larger cities would. Correct. So coming from a House with a Republican supermajority and now to a Senate, what motivates you to keep advocating for these causes, even if, you know, you may have to reintroduce them year after year? Well, I come from a family that believes service is what you're supposed to do. It is the rent that you pay for being on this earth. Um, So I will continue to advocate for my community. I was blessed to go to college, blessed to go to law school, blessed to have a big mouth and speak for those who are not always comfortable speaking for themselves. Um, They will probably be more comfortable talking to me, yelling at me, whatever the case may be. And I I open myself up to that. But I'm also able to cross that um, barrier, that invisible barrier and speak to people that my people may not feel comfortable talking to. So I will always fight. I fight because we need it. Somebody has to to fight for us um, throughout the ninth district, and I am honored to be able to be that voice uh, for the next four years. So we have to keep fighting because if we don't, people from Scott County aren't going to fight for us um, in Jackson County, not because they don't like us, but they don't know what we need. Um, and so somebody has to be down there to speak for what we need, and sometimes. You know, you have to educate the other side so that they can kind of see, you know, this bill isn't just for ninth district. This bill is could help you as well. And so I am blessed and honored to be able to have that ability to do that. Sure. And now, you know, I'm always curious, was there a specific event that made you want to run for office? I've wanted to run for office since I was in high school. Every organization I've been in in my life, I've, I've been on the executive board. I ran for student government at Mizzou. Awesome. So is high school when you started getting involved in local government, like kind of noticing what was going on and how those things needed to change? Um, My family is Methodist, so we've always paid attention to what goes on. So I can't say that there's some definitive time or high school. I've never not paid attention to what goes on. Um, It's just part of the DNA of my family. Sure. 
So you graduated from the University of Missouri's School of Journalism. How has a journalism degree added perspective to your role as a state representative and now as a senator? As a journalist, you talk a lot, but you listen more. Um, You're able to use your eyes to watch what's going on. Um, At the University of Missouri School of Journalism, we have the unique ability to take a lot of classes that we didn't think we were going to need at the time that aren't necessarily journalism classes, but they open up your perspective and your view. Um, And that helps you recognize and see things in a different way so that you're able to come with a more workable solution to your colleagues. And do you think that's something you would recommend to all students is kind of broadening their perspective, you know, not taking classes that are just specific to what they want to do for their daily career? For MUJ school, there's not, you don't have a choice. I mean, you know, <laughs> sure. You don't, I sure mean, but students in general, you, you know, I, I believe at Mizzou, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of choices like that. I think Mizzou has a, uh, at least for your first two years, has a pretty robust program that is um, well-versed. Um, and, you, you, you know, you're taking foreign languages, you're taking social sciences, you're taking the hard sciences. Um, so I, I think every, I think that is good for every institution. One thing I would think that I would think everyone should, you know, try to take is those classes that make you think, you know, religion, philosophy, finance, economics, classes that don't have a defined answer um, and that make you think so that, you're able to um, look at things with a different perspective because when you can bring a different perspective, you become more well-respected as long as you know what you're talking about. Sure. And, you know, it's hard to have a conversation like this and not talk about COVID-19. How, you know, how has your life been affected, you know, in office by COVID-19? And I know you've only been in the Senate for a week, but, you know, is it different at all? Um, it is different. Um, fewer um, visitors are allowed to come to the people's house, and this is the people's house, not our house. There could be more protections, in my opinion. I, I would per- definitely be in support of a mask uh, mandate in the Capitol. We were getting our temperatures checked every day um, this week. That was slacked off a little bit. Um, social distancing should be a little more than it is, but we do have to do the work of the people, and we just are not in the position to. Uh, do anything virtually um, as representatives because we'd have to take that has to be a constitutional change. Sure. For me, you know, uh, you got to have a mask if you come to my office, uh, stay six feet, you know, apart from folks. But it, it has changed a lot. In fact, the house is out the, the week of Martin Luther King birthday um, the whole week there because we've had COVID outbreaks already. That's yeah, that's too bad. So it's definitely going to, in, in 2020, it meant for a longer legislative session um, because we um, we kept coming back and, you know, we kept leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back. Sure. So where are you all on the scale of, you know, being aligned for the vaccinations? Do you see that coming anytime soon? We have not had that conversation. And um, there are definitely people that are, I mean, there are people in the Capitol, uh, there are elected people that should be high on the list, um, and there are people that shouldn't, but the citizens of Missouri should be first. So we don't have a priority. We don't even have testing in the building right now. Hmm. I mean, would you like to see testing? I feel like that's kind of an essential piece of the puzzle. I think we will get it back. There was testing in the building. I just think maybe it hasn't been reinstituted in the in the building since we've come back. Okay. Well, yeah, I hope you all are able to stay as safe as possible down there. I know it must be frustrating to not be able to do your job to the fullest extent because there's all these barriers and everything. 
Correct. It is. So what other projects are you working on that might be relevant to Northeast? Is there anything I forgot to mention? I don't think so. I think we're good. Um, I'll uh, definitely do listening sessions um, once we get in the session a little bit to see, you know, if there are unique issues that are, you know, that are germane to uh, the Northeast region of our city that we need to focus on. I think, you know, the historic tax credits are something we need to have maximized, uh, to try to develop more workforce programs, especially for the young people that are in that community. Sure. And if your constituents want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? They can call my office at, uh, let me see, I don't even know the phone number yet. I'm so used to the old phone <laughs> number. Let's see, it's 573-751-3158. You can also go to the Senate uh, website, senate.mo.gov, click Senator Washington. There's an email link for me. My staff's name is on there as well as my phone number. Or um, when you feel safe, you can come to the Capitol and I'm in room 425. That's awesome. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to have this discussion with us. Oh, no problem. Thank you for being uh, doing what you do and um, serving the people of the Northeast community. All right. And that was State Senator Barbara Washington. This episode of the Northeast Newscast was made possible by Shemekas Online Market in Delhi. Thanks for listening to the Northeast Newscast.